Good morning. This scripture reading today will be selections from Act 2, telling the story of Pentecost. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting, and divided tongues as a fire appeared to them and rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Peter, standing with the eleven, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people proclaim what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst. As you yourselves know, this Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. You crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death, because it is not possible for him to be held by it. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you, in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls himself. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. 
during the song Spirit Break Out, I think I was singing louder um, than I ever have on that song just because I want that to be true. I want it to be true for you right now, and so I just want to pray that the message of Acts 2 becomes the message of your home. So please pray with me. Father, pour out your spirit now that all who hear your word will receive it. Let them know that you have made Jesus King, Lord, Savior, and that you've poured out his spirit that his kingdom would come. And so it's in the name of King Jesus we pray. Amen. God has been speaking to me about this message of Pentecost for a few weeks now, really surrounding one question, what happens when God pours out his spirit? What happens when God fills you with his spirit and his power? And then as the events of this last week started to just fall heavier and heavier on me, I began to wrestle with does this message of Pentecost actually fit with the pain of the moment? Does Pentecost speak into the pain that has been caused by this pandemic and the pain that has been caused by the problems of societal sins and systemic oppression? Sometimes they feel like separate messages, this idea of revival and the issues we face every single day of sin directly into our face. But the more I wrestle with it, the more I absolutely see that the message of Pentecost is perfect for this pandemic. It's perfect for the pain that has been caused by sin and racism and all the oppression that we have felt, the inequalities that have been revealed. The message of Pentecost is directly related to these things. It's essential that we see how they are interconnected. Partly because revival and racism cannot coexist. That's the message of Pentecost, is that People from every tongue and tribe and nation can gather together under the Holy Spirit of God, under God himself who made every tongue, who made every tribe, and desires to gather them together, not to eliminate, but to enhance the beauty of every race and culture. But the problem is sin continues to plague every single movement of revival. God's enemy, the devil, comes in and tries to steal and kill and destroy the smallest works of the Holy Spirit as early as he possibly can. And so Peter, the man who proclaimed the message of Pentecost, later we see him in Galatians chapter 2 having to be confronted by Paul for his racism because his racism was preventing the move of God. And by God's grace, Peter not only repents but says, let everyone hear that racism is a great revival killer and that that is not God's aim with the Holy Spirit. Unfortunately, every revival that we hear about is plagued by these problems of power and pride and hatred. One of the greatest revivals in American history happened on Azusa Street in Los Angeles, California. It was led by William Seymour, an African-American man born from two freed slaves He had to learn in a segregated environment, sent to proclaim the truths of the scripture, and the spirit fell, fell so powerfully there in Los Angeles that the times, the news reports would come and they would look and they would say, how is this possible? 
Because when the Spirit fell there, it gathered people from all these different ethnicities at a time where Jim Crow laws reigned. It put women in leadership years before the suffrage movement actually achieved part of its purposes. And what came in to try to defeat that revival? Racism. William Seymour's mentor comes in and laments the fact that it's happening and tries to set up a white revival across the street. By God's grace, he defeated it. And God's word and his power began to spread there on Azusa. And because of Azusa Street, because of Azusa Street, this embrace of the spirit and the power of God is something that is here, not just something that is elsewhere in the globe, but that God has brought his spirit to spread it out to each and every person who embraces it. We've said all along in the middle of this pandemic that God did not cause this. He is not the author of death. He is not the author of sin. He is not the one that comes in and kills and steals and destroys. That's his enemy. But God is happy to use the works of the devil to reveal to us truths that we must be confronted with. And over the course of this pandemic, it's as if God has said, as the enemy tries to work, I want everyone just to sit still. Because you need to be faced with the fact that what you called normal was not my normal. And God says, I want to bring in a new normal that is born out of heaven and born through the kingdom of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, not created by man-made traditions and man-made ideas made in their own image, but made in the image of God. And little by little, he has used it to confront us with the fact that we are not in control, that the spirit of fear has run rampant over us, and just a tiny spark of fear can cause death and tragedy and destruction so that we would wake up the entire reason that God would ever allow for things to be exposed the way that he has as it says in Ephesians is that he brings to the light that which is visible so that he can say awake arise O sleeper and be confronted with the truth so that we would turn to him see God is doing a new thing even in the midst of establishing whatever new normal he wants to bring about. And Pentecost and the pain of the moment come together today. Because the question of what happens when God fills us is essential because we need to be filled with God. And so God knows if he wakes us up, then he can fill us up. And when he fills us up, we begin to fill the world up with his glory. That's how it works. That God fills humans he fills you and I, the promise of the Holy Spirit poured out on all flesh so that you and I will take his glory everywhere we go in every relationship and in every interaction because we need his glory. Because when his glory fills this earth, his justice reigns, his mercy prevails, his love for all people begin to be the mark of every Christian and the church. We need to be filled up. Today, I do want to answer that question. What happens when God fills you up? What happens when the Spirit falls into your life? It's not just the birth of the church, as some have talked about with Acts chapter 2. God was creating something greater than just an institution as you and I know it. It was far greater than just participation in some programs. It was that you would be a transformed person. And that you would become a person that walks with the power of God into every circumstance and situation and changes it. 
The Spirit was poured out so that he would make you and I change agents for the kingdom of God. And I want to answer that question, what happens when God fills you, with two ideas. Truth and transformation. Truth. That when the Spirit fills you up, it first confronts that you have lived and filled yourself up with something other than God so that you can have it removed so that he can create in you who he's made you to be in God. And that transformation, that change he brings about so that you can be a part of his change in the world. But it starts with truth. That's actually the entire theme of Pentecost. Pentecost was a celebration, one of three main feasts for the people of Israel. Pentecost is the Greek term for it, meaning 50. The actual Jewish holiday is called Shavuot. And Shavuot, they gather together in Jerusalem, and part of what they do is they remember when God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, receiving truth. That's what they were doing. They were gathered to remember that the Torah had been given to them, written on stone tablets. And there, on the day of Shavuot, God once again pours out truth, but instead of doing it on tablets, he pours it into the hearts of every person. The spirit written on your heart so that you would know God. Rabbinical tradition says that when the Torah was received at Mount Sinai and read, that it was miraculously spread in all the languages of the people that were gathered around Mount Sinai. Does that sound familiar? And there, as the Spirit is poured out, it is poured out in tongues of fire, receiving the truth of who Jesus Christ was, the Messiah, the promised one, the full word made flesh to dwell amongst us and establish his kingdom spoken in every language of the nations that were gathered there that every single person would hear it. Because God wants to speak to you in your language, in your personality, in your situation, because he knows the power of the Spirit speaks to every unique person and moment. And so the Spirit is poured out to bring truth to you. And what happens when truth comes? It confronts and it creates. As Peter stands up, as they're trying to make sense of what is going on, he boldly proclaims the truth and he confronts them that what they are observing are the promises of God fulfilled. The promise that he would pour out his Holy Spirit onto every person. That, he would, that young men and women would prophesy that the young would begin to get visions for their life of God's kingdom and not just building their own kingdom, that the old would begin to dream dreams about how their wisdom can be used and leveraged in the advancement of the kingdom of God. And he would pour it on everyone, every tribe, every tongue, every nation, rich, poor, male, female, every person, the spirit given to them. The promise fulfilled. But he goes on to boldly proclaim and confront them with their own sin. Because the Holy Spirit, before it can fill you, it will confront you with what you have filled up in your life. And most of us, in fact, the scriptures say all of us, have filled us up with a sinful rebellion against the God of the universe that rejects his idea, rejects his ways in favor of our own ideas, our own wisdom, and our own ways of living. And the Spirit must empty you of your sin before it fills you with His power. 
And so Peter stands up and he says, this Jesus attested to you as the son of God by miracles, signs, and wonders, you crucified. You nailed him to the cross. And their response, we read about again in Acts chapter two, and I wanna read it for you so that you see how they receive this bold message of confrontation. Here's what it says. Next slide. I didn't actually refer to that one. There we go. Nope. There we go. Acts 2, 37 through 41. It says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words, he bore witness, and he continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. That phrase, cut to the heart, happens every single time you are confronted by God and the Holy Spirit with truth. It's the same phrase that is used again in Acts chapter 7. In Acts chapter 7, it is the proclamation of Stephen. And it says that those who hear it were cut to the heart, but the actual language is two different understandings of cut to the heart. See, the cut to the heart of Acts chapter 2 is that they were terrified to the point of heart sorrow, of regret, where they respond and say, what do we have to do to escape the judgment that is on our sin? In Acts chapter 7, it says it was a state of mind, of offense. They, when they were confronted with their sin and their rebellion and their crucifying of Jesus by the sinful hands of other people, it says they were offended And instead of receiving the Holy Spirit, they resisted the Holy Spirit and they killed an innocent, unarmed man, Stephen. What will happen to you today? When you are cut to the heart with the Holy Spirit coming to confront you that there is judgment on your sins, there is blood on your hands. For the people that were gathered there at Pentecost, 3,000 of them had to say, I am responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Now you and I could say, how, how could they own that? They, they might not even have been there six weeks before when Jesus was crucified on Good Friday. How could they say that it was their fault? There's a great modern hymn called How Deep the Father's Love for Us. And there's lyrics in it that every time I hear it, it pierces my heart because it is a reminder. It says, ashamed I hear my mocking voice cry out among the scoffers. It was my sin that held him on the cross until it was accomplished. See, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin, what sin produces is death. And Jesus took our death. There is judgment for our sins. There is blood on our hands, the blood of Jesus Christ. The question is, will we accept that we are responsible for his death? We are responsible for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And will we receive repentance today? 
receive the Holy Spirit, the forgiveness of our sins, to be washed clean, baptized, immersed in the blood of Jesus so that we could be received by God and receive the Holy Spirit filling us. Instead of resisting, the call today is for you to repent. Repentance, it's not a fun word. I don't like the idea of judgment because we associate it too much with punishment. And there's been too many people that have just declared punishment. God's punishing us for a variety of different things. I don't like it, but it's true. There is punishment for sin. And you and I sit underneath judgment unless we trust that the judgment of our sin has fallen upon Jesus. And when we do that, we're freed from offense. And we're freed from defense. We don't have to be defensive anymore. We have to just acknowledge that we have sinned. And so we don't have to live under guilt or shame. We just have to turn to Jesus and say, it was my sin. I repent for the forgiveness of sin so that I can be forgiven. I don't know how Janice stole my notes, but one of the things that she just said was in my notes. She actually said it better, so I'm going to steal it from her. My notes said, repentance makes space for the Spirit. She said, repentance makes room for the Spirit. I think that's better. See, because for God to fill you, He has to confront you with what you have filled your life with. Because none of us want an empty life. We want a full life. But what we seek to fill our lives with is often a rejection of God and a receiving of our own pride and ability and whatever we can accomplish and achieve for ourselves. And God's not against that. He just says he will not share that spot. He will not share his glory and his affection with something else in your life. No matter your idolatry, no matter your ignorance, he will not share that. And so he wants to be first. He says, when you seek first the kingdom, all the other things will be added unto you, but he must be first. And so the Spirit comes to convict. The Spirit comes to declare truth that you have sinned and fallen short of God's glory, so repent. It literally means to turn and go the other direction. What is your sin that you need to repent of? See, this past week we were confronted that our society has not fully repented of racism. Has there been progress? Yes. No one can deny that. But we have not fully repented because true transformation and change does not exist in our society right now. And some of us are tired of the conversation. Some of us are tired that it keeps happening to our own brothers and sisters. But we have to keep talking about systemic sin and systemic oppression because it doesn't just happen to become systemic. It happens because you and I's sinful heart and attitude, the roots of systemic oppression, the roots of hatred, the roots of pride, start in small ways. And if we do not repent of these small sins, these sins unrepented become systemic sin and oppression. When uh, Calvin, my son, was younger and riding around on a scooter, he had the, the habit of coming around and just dropping truth bombs on us and scooting off. And one of those was he scooted up to us and he said, you know, I just think sin grows up with you. Like, whoa, what do you mean? He's like, well, as you get bigger, your sin gets bigger. 
And he's right. If you and I do not repent of our sin, if we do not participate in corporate repentance of the sins of generations past, we will continue to see generational patterns continue until we reject them and repent of them and then walk in a new pattern and a new path. It will grow up. And we will continue to see the destruction of systemic sin reign in our society. And COVID-19 has just pulled back the veil and said there are so many systemic issues that you and I must deal with in the middle of this pandemic because we can't go anywhere and so we have to see it. We have to see that economic inequality has been revealed and the fact that this has attacked areas of our country that deal with economic fragile situations. It confronts us that there is an ailing healthcare system where wellness is not the mantra, but medication is the mantra. Not fully healing, but just trying to get by. There has been a consistent confronting that systemic issues have reigned over our city and reigned over our lives. And God says, enough. Be filled with my spirit. Repent of these things. And so you may say, I haven't done those things. See, we want to separate individual sin from the effects of corporate sin. It doesn't work like that in the spiritual realm. When we participate in sin of any kind, we spread sins of all kind. And God wants to empty us of all of our sins so that he can fill us with all of his righteousness. And so the invitation today was the invitation of Pentecost to be confronted with truth, And to say, what must I do to be saved from this wicked generation? Repent. Be baptized. Let the forgiveness of sin fall on you and receive the Holy Spirit. Because as you remove the sin, as you empty yourselves of the sin, God has more space to work. It's true of sin and it's true of healing. The more you are healed of trauma, there's more room for God to work in your life. The more you're freed from sin, there's more room for God to work in and through your life. That's the goal, is more of God. And you don't get more of God without repenting of more of you. Let God fill you today. Let it lead you to repent. Because the response of Pentecost is far better than the response in Acts chapter 7. Acts 7 was persecution that led to murder and death and scattering of people. God used it. But the response of Pentecost was to receive the Holy Spirit. 3,000 souls added that day. Your soul could be added today by receiving the Holy Spirit. And when you repent, you are made into a new creation because truth confronts in order to change and make you new and create something new in you, to change you so that you would be a change agent. Truth gives way to transformation. Transformation, I want to show you and I read from Acts chapter 2 what happens to these people when we receive it. Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. It says, after they were added that day, this was their response. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. 
day by day, attending the temple together. Breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God, having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Transformation. Transformation individually and transformation corporately. See, for too long, the church has embraced individual transformation without concern for corporate transformation. Individual, but not systemic. God wasn't trying to create a church with programs and institutions for individual private spirituality. He was trying to change individuals that would come together to become a movement. And they become a movement by the power of God. And he wants to do it again. He wants to do it again. He's never wanted to stop. He wanted it to begin at Jerusalem and spread to the ends of the earth. A movement of people who are individually changed, who become a community that changes things. Everything God wants to do individually, he wants to do corporately. Everything his kingdom wants to bring to you individually, he wants his kingdom to bring corporately to the city and the streets we walk. His desire is the spirit being poured out all over and his glory filling the entire earth. He's anxious for it. And you and I are too. And so the question for us today as LMCC is what is our mandate? What is our mandate as a church for this movement of God that he is doing now today? How will we embrace the Holy Spirit? From that passage, we've seen some of the mandate that he has started to sow into us that we need to expand as a people. One of the most predominant things you see in that is this radical generosity where they begin to sell all their possessions, distribute it to everybody who has need, and so there begins to be an equality amongst the community based upon generosity. Part of the mandate that God has given to us as a church is to break the spirit of mammon, the love of money, the worship of money that exists in our city, that we could be a part of breaking the spirit of mammon everywhere. And we didn't even know it when we started. We knew that we had to reject the spirit of mammon, but we did not know it would be a movement to destroy the spirit of mammon in our city that God was inviting us into. When you began to give generosity, you invited the Holy Spirit to fill that space of your sacrifice so that the Spirit could set you free from the love of money so that your generosity could spread and start churches and missions and start to reach the poor and the marginalized everywhere they are. You began a movement and it started so much with us individually that we'd be set free from mammon, trusting that God will always give to us as we give back to his heart. And he is pleased. The key to God's revival often begins in the wallet where we begin to release our money to him so that we could receive his power and it could spread. But God is not interested merely in breaking your individual spirit of mammon and control. He wants to break the corporate spirit of mammon that exists in our city so that you no longer just look at your bank account with the lens of the spirit of money, but you stop looking at people through the lens of money. That it is a measure of not treating inequalities with favoritism. And so we begin to see that all are welcomed into the kingdom of God because his spirit is poured out on all flesh. 
not because of how generous they can be, because our generosity is God is asking you to be as generous as you can be. And so the individual spirit of mammon destroyed and crushed so that we can be a part of crushing the corporate spirit of mammon that separates people based on economic status. But everyone begins to be welcomed in. Everyone has their needs met. He has started that work and he only wants to increase it. He wants our generosity to continue to spread to be this miraculous move that transforms this city. That has been our mandate and it will continue to be our mandate. But God continues to expand our mandate. Over the last few years, that mandate has come to be just like this in Acts, a mandate of miracles where we begin to see that Jesus did great signs and wonders and miracles so that his spirit could be poured out to us, so that his promise that you would do more than he did would be fulfilled in our midst. And he wants to fill you and transform you that you'll be a part of his miracles. Now, what do I mean by miracles? I mean a supernatural work of God that only he could do. The problem is we have such a high bar for miracles that we don't try to do these small everyday miracles of just inviting the supernatural into every moment. We adopt somewhat of a Catholic idea of miracles that says it's so extreme before you could be a saint. But it is so simple for you and I to embrace the Holy Spirit and then to begin to pray. In moments where I'm leaning into the Spirit, it becomes easy. That when someone in the member of my family begins to have sick or pain, I say, let's pray for it, that God would heal. And what do you know? We see him do it. Just like you have seen him do it in you. When you have said, I want more. And sometimes he doesn't come like you expected. But he always responds in these miraculous and supernatural ways. There's a mandate of miracles that he wants to give to each and every one of you. And some of our repentance needs to be that we have told ourselves, not me. Miracles don't come through me. That is a lie. And the truth comes to confront you today that the Spirit has been poured out into you. If you proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, the power of God lives and reigns through you, and so you're a part of this mandate of miracles spreading throughout so the kingdom advances. But I do believe that God is saying, I want your mandate to continue to grow as a church. To be a part of a movement that you and I never would have imagined, or thought that God would say, through you. A movement like William Seymour. An embrace again of the power of Azusa Street, where the Holy Spirit falls. And he unites a people in such a way that yes, they are oppressed, yes, they are attacked, but they keep going in power. And they empower those that our society doesn't. They empower every person, young and old, to see the Holy Spirit manifested in such a unique and powerful way that every industry has changed, all the systemic issues are transformed. And over the course of this last week, I wrestled with, could God use this little church to do these big works? There's been a prophecy from a previous pastor who has said, God has big plans for this little church. And there have been times where I have doubted 
my own call and the call upon this church, the mandate upon LMCC. Could he use us to change systemic issues? They seem so big. And then I remember the story of the Spirit as read to us by these children today. The Spirit came to Moses and said, hundreds of years of oppression I will overthrow by my power. The Spirit came to David and said, that Philistine giant you will defeat because the battle belongs to me. The Spirit came to Jesus and he said, the Spirit has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, to set the captives free. And the Spirit was poured out at Pentecost. And it was poured out again and again and again. And the Spirit has been poured out into you and it's been poured out into me. And my lineage has changed. And so is yours. It's the lineage of God. That the generational patterns that we have inherited, we can now reject and repent of to receive the generational patterns of the Holy Spirit and the power of God. That His patterns and His blessings will flow through us. And if God did it through them, he will do it again and he's gonna do it again through us. But we have to let the truth confront us and repent of the lies that he could not do it through us, that it could not be done, that this evil is too powerful because that is not true. The gates of hell will never prevail. The kingdom will advance and he wants to advance through you. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what we've been waiting for. That's what we cry out for. That's the new thing we want, is to be a people that live every day by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we crush the head of the devil in every forms, that we would embrace our mandate as a church, to be a part of a movement that doesn't make sense outside of the hands and the plans and the power of God. That's all I'm interested in. That's all I will be about. Because I know when revival comes, racism will be crushed. I know when revival comes, sexism will be crushed. I know when revival comes, all men and women will be empowered and all inequalities will be crushed and the kingdom of God will advance. The power of Pentecost to destroy every pain and to fill everyone with power. That's the message for you today. Let's embrace it. Pray with me. Fire fall like it did at Pentecost into every room. Transcend technology and let your fire fall to bring more miracles and more power than ever before so that every person walks in the power of the Holy Spirit. Spirit, come and fill this place. Fill me and fill us again that we would forever be a part of your kingdom work, believing that a movement could begin here that could transform the world again. We choose to follow you and embrace all that you have for us. Spirit, fill us today again. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.